Good morning, everybody. It's great to be, to be back, to see you all again. Good to be back from Seattle. Um, just when we were in Seattle, um, the sun was out, which you, you think is nothing. But so here, here's the deal. Just think about how we feel when it rains down here. Like on the, it's storm watch, right? That's how they feel when the sun comes out. Everybody goes crazy. It's like on the radio. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Let's go out. Let's get some, you know, anyway, it, it was beautiful. Great time at our niece's um, wedding and uh, good, good to be back though um, from that. So it was great to see Josiah here in the pulpit. Josiah Cruz, his message on Psalm 51 um, this idea of the offer of forgiveness as well as creating me a clean heart, that God can do that. We love, one of the things we love to do here and one of the things that I want to do and continue to do is always invest in people at the beginning of their ministry career. And Josiah was a good example of that, a young man who just needs the reps in the pulpit and God is going to use him in great ways. And so we're happy, we're happy to be the testing ground for that, right? That's what we do. We, we're like, yeah, feed, feed us and help us as we invest and as we are invested in, that's what we want to be. So it's just good to have that. Next week, um, I will also be out of town up at Hume Lake Christian Camps for a, a, a meeting, and we will also we'll have a guest speaker. We're actually going to have, um, uh, uh, sorry, why am, I, um, why am I blanking? This is what happens when you, you're out of the, the rhythm of, of pastoring, you know, it's, you have to get back on it. Um, so, uh, so this, okay, let's start the tape again. Um, so Nick Kinnear is going to be in the pulpit next week. Nick was the pastor at Saltworks uh, Church, and um, so he's going to be in the pulpit this next week, and so it's going to be great to have him. It's been good to reconnect with Nick. All right. Well, um, if you have your Bibles, let's open up to the book of Ephesians. We are at the end of Ephesians, the end of Ephesians. We began back in February in Ephesians. We had 19 messages in Ephesians. Um, and I think to me, one of the things that just stood out was just what a remarkable book this is, what a remarkable letter, what a remarkable correspondence this is, written 2,000 years ago. Um, but as some have said, kind of pound for pound, one of the most significant texts in the New Testament as we think about our salvation and what God has done in Christ. It is a distillation of what the Apostle Paul thought, his theology in many ways. And so timely, even today, over these last, this last spring as we've been going through this, it's been struck by so much of what this book has to offer and this idea that um, we, we find that it, we, to know our identity in Christ in chapter 1, that we, were de- uh, that we were chosen, adopted, redeemed, forgiven, sealed with the Holy Spirit, and to know our salvation in chapter 2, that we were dead and entangled in dark forces, but God is rich in mercy, and He rescues us, and He untangles us, and it's by grace that we've been saved. And to know that that offer of salvation, of course it extends to you because, you know, we know each other, but it doesn't just extend to us, it extends to those who are far off, to the unexpected, to those that we, we don't think would ever respond to an offer for a relationship with God. We're told Jesus has come to preach peace to those people. 
And that we are now, and we're going to find out today, we are his ambassadors to do that. And in light of all of this, this wonderful one through three chapters, that we are now called to walk in a manner worthy. And in chapter four, to walk in unity. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Even for those who are far off and those who are near, it's all one. There's one of all these things, and we gather around that unity. We walk in new life. We take off the old self. We put on the new self. In chapter four, we don't want to grieve the Spirit, but we want to be filled with the Spirit in chapter five. The longest passage in marriage is in Ephesians. The longest passage on marriage in the New Testament, in the Bible, is in the book of Ephesians. And marriage is meant to be characterized by this mix of self-emptying love and self-yielding love. And we get a sense of that because it's built off of this image of Christ and the church as the archetype of what this union looks like. And the final call that we heard last time was that, that we were called to take a stand in this world. Take the content of this book and put it on like armor. Take a stand against the unseen dark forces of this world. Not against people. Our stand is not against people. It's not against flesh and blood, is it? We get confused. Our stand that we take is against the dark forces of this world, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places, who are cunning and scheming and accusatory and slandering. That's why we put all of this on. And so what I want to do today as we finish up the book of Ephesians is I want, us, I want to take this last section and I want to just take a look at it and reflect a little bit on the entirety of the book as well as what this passage is calling us to. God has been faithful to speak to us through the book of Ephesians um, and we, we have to imagine that he would be faithful to speak to us even now. I, one little aside, sometimes when we pray in the morning, um, people will pray, you know, Lord, give, um, give Pastor Craig the words to speak like, like the sermon's the most important thing in the morning. And look, I, I'm a big sermon, right? I like the sermon. That's why I prepare. But um, I was reminded even this morning that even, even as we have these moments of, of worship, of, of music, and that God works specifically in that. And there are times when Connor will say something. I'm like, man, that's the best thing that you will hear this morning. I'm like, yeah, I got to get up and I got to do 30 minutes, right? But like what he said is the best thing you'll hear this morning. Like when he talked about that you were completely forgiven before God. That there's nothing left in between. Like that's the best thing you're ever going to hear. And that, like I wasn't even going to say that this morning. So like some of these times when we come together, our prayer is not just like, hey, give Pastor Craig the right words. It's like, God, meet us in this space as we sing out to you, as we, as we hear from your word that we would imagine that God wants to visit us in lots of different ways. There might even be things that I, don't, I never say, Connor never says, it never comes out of a microphone or out of a loudspeaker in this building, but you feel it and you hear it because we're inviting Jesus, we're inviting the Holy Spirit to come do work in this room. And that's what we do. We come expectantly. We anticipate that God is going to move. And it's not just through the sermon. We anticipate that God is going to move, whether it's through music or the sermon or something entirely else on a Sunday morning. We make space so God can move. That's what we are in the business of doing. And so it's just a great reminder that even, even if like nothing lands here, our prayer is that God is going to have something land and he's been faithful to do that through Ephesians, through the music, through whatever we've had over these last 19 weeks, and he will be faithful to do that. He won't, he won't fail, right? He won't fail. 
And that's why we come together today. So some thoughts and reflections on our passage. Open up to chapter 6, Ephesians chapter 6. We'll pick it up in verse 18. And as we come to this passage, and as we think about this, and as we, we, we bring this book to a close this week, and as we look at this, Paul has just finished with this section on putting on the armor of God, or what we called um, taking, taking up our gear, like we love our gear, right? I love my gear, you love your gear, whatever your gear is, we all love it. And God says, I've got gear for you. And what he says is, he talked about this idea of gearing up, and he said, he says, take all these truths from this book and gird yourself up. Take the truth and wrap it around you and get ready for action. Take the righteousness of Christ and put it on like a breastplate. Have the readiness to share the gospel with those who are far off. Put that on your feet so you can get out there. Take take your fundamental trust in the goodness of God, your faith, and hold it up like a shield because the devil's going to try to burn down everything in your life. And if you don't have that fundamental orientation toward God and his goodness, you are going to grieve the loss of everything else, but you, but you will hold on to your faith in God. It will extinguish the burning arrows. Know that you're saved and put it on like a helmet. And then the words of God will function as your offensive weapon like a sword. Not a sword. We don't wield swords. The Word of God operates like a sword. It will fight on our behalf. Let those do your fighting. And with this standing and standing firm gear in mind, Paul now continues. Let's look at verse 18. He says this, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And I think there's just a few things just to point out in this. One, it says um, to pray at all times. It says at all times. Another way to translate that is to pray at every opportunity. Have you had an opportunity to pray for something recently? I would argue that we have opportunities all the time, and sometimes these these timely opportunities come, somebody is in need, or there's a particular thing on your heart. He says, pray, take every opportunity at all times, pray. And he says to pray in the Spirit, and it's interesting because not all all prayers necessarily, um, this idea of praying in the Spirit, what does it mean to pray in the Spirit? And I think that the best way to understand this idea of praying in the Spirit is this idea of, of praying and interacting with the Spirit. Sometimes we pray like we have a rote prayer, like the Lord's Prayer. I, I try to pray, pray the Lord's Prayer every day. And, and so, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And I'll, and I'll pray through that, and I'll be like, look, if that's all I can get out in one day, that's good. It's not exactly praying in the Spirit. It's not, like, sometimes I'll, I'll get a little bit more interactive, like, um, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I'll think, like, okay, God, how do you want your will to be done on, on earth today as it is in heaven? And, and to interact with the Spirit and to say, Spirit, what do you have for me in this? And this idea of interacting with the Spirit, pausing and asking the Spirit to comment on our prayers. 
And you might be saying like, what, how does that work? Do you hear audible voices? I, I don't hear audible voices. I know other people who would say, yeah, sometimes I hear God, I hear something like an audible voice. Sometimes it's just impressions of words. Sometimes it's just impressions of feelings. Sometimes it's just the feeling of slow pressure in a certain direction. Okay, whatever it is, the Spirit is, God wants to interact with us. Pray in the Spirit. The Spirit will interact. And so this idea, praying in every opportunity, in the Spirit, and it says then keeping alert with all perseverance, staying awake. This is the same verb that is used in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus says, couldn't you just stay awake? Couldn't you just be watchful? And Paul goes back to that and he says, hey, at every opportunity pray and, and be watchful. Stay awake like you're in the garden with Jesus. Just stay awake. And he says, making supplication for the saints. Prayers and supplications, it's kind of interchangeable. Supplication is this idea of an urgent request to meet a need. Prayers and supplications. Uh, the CEB says prayers and petitions. The NIV says prayers and requests. So you get this idea, a supplication would be some, maybe something for someone else, and that's what Paul is going to be talking about here is like, pray for the saints, pray for other people. But we also know that, that that's not the only way that you can pray. So prayer... I mean, I'm going to say a couple things just about prayer. Um, we just uh, did a little bit of redo on the cry room slash prayer room, and we're trying to make that into uh, more a place that throughout the week people can come to and pray, kind of the heartbeat of our church, that this, the core where, um, uh, where, 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 pe- where requests would be made, where prayer would happen. But prayer... Prayer is simple at heart, but not always easy. I don't know if you've been a believer for any amount of time. You probably, like, if you want to humble anybody, just ask them about their prayer life, right? Like, how's your prayer life going? You're like, oh my gosh, you know, and you're like, what can I say? Um, prayer, prayer is simple, but not always easy. Just, if, there, if I have any definition of what prayer is, prayer is simply this. Prayer is having an honest conversation with God. and um, am I cutting out a little bit here? Uh, I was listening to a podcast and, and uh, they were talking about spirituality and, and the guy said, you know, look, my goal is to just have an honest conversation with God every day. Just an honest conversation about how I'm feeling, what's on my heart, what's on my mind. I think that's a great idea. If you want to think about prayer that way, like are you having an honest conversation with God? Prayer is simple at its heart but not always easy. Prayer is like we said when we talked about the Psalms, is it's just putting to speech whatever season of life you are in. However you are feeling, if you're feeling oriented, put that to speech before God. If you're feeling disoriented, things are going, things are hard around you, your, your life is burning down around you, put that to speech before God. If you feel like that you've, God has turned your mourning into dancing, put that to speech before God. That's, that, that's, you'll find all of that in the Psalms. And as we're making that prayer room into what it is, one of the, the books that we're, um, we're going to put in there um, is Richard Foster's book on prayer. It's been, to me, one of the most helpful books. I think one thing you can learn as you pray is, um, and I feel, I, look, I, I've been a believer. I'm 50 years old now. Um, I still feel like a bit of a novice at prayer. And I think we can all kind of feel that way, but I think you'd be surprised at how, how much practice helps in that way. 
and that I remember even in college, I bought this book, this Richard Foster book about prayer, and as you open it up, it talks about, well, prayer can move you, it can move you upward toward God, your prayers can be addressed toward God, or there are certain types of prayer that will move you more inward to God, like you can praise God or give thanks to God, but there's other prayers like what Josiah preached last week to pray through Psalm 51, search me and know me, God that create in me a clean heart, that do some searching in me, that, that prayer can move us inward as well to do some inward work. But there's also prayer that we might have that, that moves us outward towards other people, intercession. We know that there's needs in our community. We know that someone is sick and struggling. We know that someone has a financial burden to pray on behalf of others. So prayer, as, as simple as it is, there is, it's like walking through this door into this great expanse. There's lots of ways you can go. And I think as we, as we think about prayer, and, um, and I'll say a few more things about prayer near the end of this, um, but simply to be encouraged by this idea that prayer is something that God is calling us to, but there's no one way to do it. I think in this season, this last uh, year, especially coming out of covid um, I mean, even for my, for my journey here at Taft, um, I, I arrived in 2018, in November of 2018, and we had a great year. Like, 2019 was a great year. We kind of got on our feet, moving out into our community, and then 2020 was COVID. Like, year two was COVID. It's like, talk about pivot. <laughs> Everything is all pivot at that point, right? And we're installing cameras, and I'm preaching to an empty room, and we got like 12 people here on a Sunday, and you all are at home in your pajamas, you know, watching or participating. We don't say watching online. We say participating online, right? If you're at home, you worshiped with us. You're, you're participating with us today. Even if you're watching this, even if you're watching this a couple weeks later, you're still participating with us. So I'm talking to you. Okay, so this... And this is, what, this is what we did. So it was all this pivoting. And now as we, as we kind of move into like 2021 was like this slow coming out. 2022, we've seen we're, we're back with our, our foot on the gas once again, uh, gathering people as much as we can. And as, I think as we've been moving through Ephesians, one of the things that struck me is just, and this is me. This isn't anybody else. This is, this is just me. I guess this is um, time for... Uh, what do we, we call it? We call it a uh, self-report, self-report, self-report. Like when I got here, it was like prayer, on my knees, praying, 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 praying. And then as, as you're praying, you're like, God is saying, go do this, go do this, go do this. Like here, here's the strategic stuff. And like for me, I'm like, work is awesome. I love to work. Let's work. Let's get at it. And I think what, what happens and what can happen to me and what has happened is this idea like work, we got to get this done and this done and this done and this done and this done. And that like feeds my, I don't want to say it feeds my soul, but it feeds my compulsions to be a worker and to do stuff. That I think eventually what happens is God's like, hey, yo, how about some prayer? Right? Does anybody, I mean, this is just me. I, this is nobody else. Nobody else experiences this. But the idea that I, I really have felt like God is saying, okay, Craig, look, in this next season, like, it, it's, we're back to our knees. And I, I, I say that, again, this, you're like, what, what kind of a pastor are you? You, know, you don't pray? I'm like, okay, yes, I do. But, like, there are times where you have, there, there are more significant focused times of prayer. And I would just say this, that, like, 
the work before us has been awesome and it's been great to work. And I, I do feel like it's time to get back to some of those more focused times of prayer for myself. I know many of you are like, look, welcome to the party, Pastor Craig. We've been doing this all along. But that's, and that's okay. I'm happy to, like, look, it's just self-reporting. I'm just a person, right? We all are. But this idea that some, there, there are seasons where God simply calls us back into a posture that we're familiar with, but maybe our work has distracted us from. And it's awesome. I think it's awesome to get marching orders from God because it means we can go do that, but we always do it with Him. And I think for me, this is a great reminder as Paul at the very end of this book is like, hey, hey, don't forget to pray. Don't forget to pray. You can be busy putting on the armor. You can be busy doing all this stuff. You can be busy preaching to those who are far off, but don't forget. Don't forget. And I'm talking to myself. Just don't forget to pray. There's more than one way to do it. You can go upward, inward, outward, but pray. The cycle of prayer and work and then realizing I'm doing more working than praying, this return to prayer, and I think Ephesians has moved me back into this posture of reflection and returning and dependency in many ways. Again, it feels weird to even say this up here because you're like, Pastor Craig, you don't feel dependent on the Lord. I feel, look, I feel happy that I'm skilled at whatever I'm skilled at, right? But not always dependent. And as a confession, and I think for us to say, yeah, maybe there's times where you feel like, I feel good, I feel skilled, I feel competent. Do you feel dependent? And it's okay if you don't because God will call you back to dependency. Don't forget to pray. Pray. And Paul says this, praying at all times, on all occasions, taking every opportunity to pray in the Spirit and interact with the Spirit. Be watchful. Stay awake. Stay alert. Persevere. And he goes on in verse 8, at the end of verse 18. I don't know why they put a verse uh, in here, a verse division in here. It doesn't make any sense. It says, making supplication for all the saints and also for me. Paul is saying, look, pray for everybody that's around you. Pray for all these workers. Pray for the people who've heard about Jesus. But pray also for me. I'm in chains. And it's interesting. I think it's interesting what what, what Paul prays for. He says in 619, pray also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. I love that Paul is saying, look, pray for all the saints, all the believers, and also for me. And then the particular prayer that he asks for, the prayer, what Paul is wanting most is the right words. Just think about that. What Paul is asking for most, and probably because that's Paul's gift. Paul's gift, he's a speaker, right? And he's going to proclaim the gospel. He just wants the right words. And you're like, well, it seems like he has, like he's got all these great concepts down. But the truth is, like communicating is not just about having great concepts. Communicating is about saying it in such a way that the spirit and those words go out and they interact and they do and something happens as a result that words may be given to me in opening my mouth trying to say something in the most strategic way 
man, I can, re- I can relate to this. Like, there's lots of things that we can say. There's lots of ways we can say it. But what Paul is saying, I, I, I live in this world, in this culture that is surrounded by these dark forces. I just want to have, I want words that will carry the best way possible the love and compassion and truth of Jesus. Does anybody else feel that way today? I mean, my gosh, I feel like there are definitely times where as a believer I feel misunderstood. I watch the news or I, or I hear about people's objections to Christianity or, or things like that. I feel like, well, that's not exactly, that's not what I believe. Like, what about my, my, my heart for this? And I think that this idea of having words that God might give us words that match our love and our care and compassion as well as our truth, the truth of the gospel. I mean, this, this, is, this prayer written 2,000 years ago is so important today. God, would you give me the right words that the truth of the gospel and the love of Jesus would somehow unite in these words. Man, I don't think the idea of being able to contextualize and preach the gospel in this particular cultural moment in a way that people will hear the truth of the gospel and the compassion and mercy of the Father God, would you give us words? And it's, I don't know where they are, but we need them. We need to be able to communicate in such a way. And I think this, and he says, he also says this. He says also, the boldness to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. I think Paul is asking for words, but he's also asking for this word, for boldness. And this word boldness is this idea of, of simply saying something plainly frankly, simply saying it without kind of circling back around or anything like that, but speaking plainly and straight, in a straightforward manner. Speech that conceals nothing and passes over nothing. He's asking for words that will plainly communicate the good news in a forthright way. God, would you give us those words. 6.20, he says, for I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. And I think this is important because he's, he's, ask, he's asking for words, but what he understands of himself is that he is an ambassador. Now, I was thinking about this this week that there's um, a messenger, a messenger carries a message. And messengers, you can have anybody be a messenger. All they have to do is take whatever message is given and hand off the message, right? Messenger doesn't need to have character. Messenger doesn't need to, I mean, a messenger needs to get there quickly. That's the biggest thing. But an ambassador is more than a messenger. Do you hear what I'm saying? Like, we can send, you can send an email. That's a message. But in order to have an ambassador, that's someone who is a representative of the sender, like, a message is this content. And if we, if we start to think that, look, all, this is all about content. If I just have the right words and I just kind of spit them out, it'll be fine. This is also about an, an being an ambassador 
who not only has the character of the one who sends, so Paul sees himself as an ambassador of King Jesus, which means that Jesus is going to send him with a message, but also as a representative, as someone who is going to carry the sensibilities of that king, the character of that king, and that Paul will be an ambassador. And that is really what we, what he says in 2 Corinthians that we are ambassadors. He broadens that out, that we're not just messengers, we are ambassadors. And so this idea of like, God, would you give me, would you give me words, but also help me to remember that I am an embodied representative of Jesus. You are an embodied representative of Jesus. You carry not only the message, but you carry the character of Christ, the sensibilities of the kingdom of God. You're like, well, what are the sensibilities of the kingdom of God? This is why we read the gospels. This is why we read the teaching of Jesus, to know the sensibilities of the kingdom of God. And he wants to declare it boldly. He's an ambassador asking for words speaking freely, openly, fearlessly, frankly, plainly, an ambassador in chains, but who speaks freely. You know, as we think about words, what should, this idea of speaking freely, boldly, I think we all, we all probably feel the freedom to speak plainly and boldly, freely, frankly, like um, we'll go on walks, Kelly and I, and I'll say, I'll say something to her like, okay, this doesn't, this doesn't leave the walk. Like what I'm going to say, and, and she knows that I'm going to say something that I probably shouldn't say. And just fl- pl- plainly, frankly, like it's just going to stay here. So you, somebody, you guys have people like that, that you're like, these are the cones of silence. Anybody from Get Smart days? Yeah, the cones of silence come down and you're like, this stays here, right? That's speaking fl- fl- frankly, right? Now, I think sometimes we feel the freedom to speak frankly about a lot of things, right? Sometimes it, maybe we have no business speaking about, or maybe things that are not as important as maybe the gospel, but we'll speak frankly about it. We'll put it on our Facebook, and we'll talk about all kinds of stuff, and we'll like put it all out there, frankly, because I'm free in Jesus, right? And we'll just speak as freely and frankly as we feel like we ought to. What, what should we feel free to speak about. How about this? In an act of love and compassion, God sent Jesus into the world. You should be free to say that. You should be free to speak that plainly. How about this? God wants to have compassion on our broken human condition. Man, Be plain about that. How about this? Jesus offers forgiveness for our wrongs and healing for the ways we have had to bear the fallenness of this world. Speak that out, frankly, plainly. Jesus offers personal transformation to address our struggles, dysfunctions, and become someone that we are not yet. Jesus offers transformation. Speak that out. 
How about this? God has sent Jesus and his spirit to remind us of who we are and our great value to the Father. You guys get the, the, you get the, the theme here? There are things that we should be speaking out frankly. There are things that we should be speaking out in boldness. Those might not be the things that we're speaking out in boldness. We're much more happy talking about vaccines or about lockdowns or about whatever the Supreme Court is saying. We're happy to put our opinions out there about that. And yet, these are the things that Paul is asking to speak plainly about, frankly about. God is reaching out to the most unlikely of people. Speak that out boldly. Don't be afraid. That's what Paul is asking for. God, give me words. Pray that I would have words and pray that I would be able to speak them out plainly. And as we speak these things, we remember we're not simply messengers. We're ambassadors. We give a message, but we also represent our king. We embody his love. We embody his care. We embody his compassion. We also embody his truth and the challenge that comes with Jesus. We embody all of those things, and that's why we pray, God, give me the words and give me the posture in this world in order for people to understand what it is I actually do believe and what you are like. I think in in verse 21, it seems like a a strange shift, but for us, verse 21 uh, makes a shift, but it, it kind of continues on what we're talking about. He says, so that you also may know how I am doing and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. In other words, Paul is saying, hey, I'm an ambassador of Jesus, but I've sent you my ambassador, Tychicus. And he sends Tychicus to carry this letter. Also, if, 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 if Tychicus is carrying Ephesians, it's also, Tychicus is also mentioned in the book of Colossians as the carrier of that book, which also implies that he has carried the book of Philemon. Tychicus is mentioned in 2 Timothy. He's mentioned in Titus. He's mentioned in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 20, when Paul is delivering uh, the, the offering to Jerusalem on the time when Paul goes back and is arrested. Tychicus is with him. Tychicus is this trusted, faithful, traveling companion that Paul has enlisted and said, look, here's the deal. And I don't think Paul would have said this, but like, can you imagine if Paul said, all right, Tychicus, let's, let's huddle up. All right, I got three letters that I got to send to you, and you got to deliver them because 2,000 years later, there's going to be this group of people in Orange, California, and they're going to get together, and they're going to want to study one of them. So you got to make sure it gets where it's going to go. Like, no, he didn't say that, right? But that's the thing. What Paul understands, like, look, these people, they need to be able to get, I need to be able to encourage these people. Who should I choose? I'm sending Tychicus. He, how does he describe him? He says that he is... He is our beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, and he will tell you everything. Whatever you don't understand from the letters, Tychicus will fill you in. As much as the challenge, the challenge to be an ambassador, I would just ask you this, like, do you know a Tychicus? Just someone who's reliable, reliable to love Jesus, reliable to do the ministry that Jesus has called them to? 
Sometimes being an ambassador is hard because maybe I just need an example. Well, do you know someone who's an example like that? Tychicus is this example for them. Verse 22, I've sent him for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. I, I just, I, I, this, this whole thing, because Tychicus not only comes with Ephesians, but he also comes, he's, he's traveling with Onesimus, the slave who's going back to, his own, to the owner, uh, Philemon, and he doesn't know what his fate is. And these guys, they're traveling, they probably spend about a month traveling from Rome to Ephesus, and then walking, they take like a five-day journey to walk into all the way to Colossae. And these two guys, Tychicus and Onesimus, they're just walking side-by-side, traveling companions. You ever travel with people before? You get to know them pretty good, right? You get to know what they're like in the morning, what they're like at night, what they're like when they're hangry, right? Like these two guys, and just the flesh and bones of this, and Paul's like, I know who I to send for this job. Tychicus. Do you know Tychicus? Are you someone like Tychicus? And I think in, in a room like this, it's, it's beautiful to look out and to be like, no, there are faithful ministers of the gospel, beloved brothers and sisters, and we just want to live into this idea of being an ambassador. Ambassadors who pray, who look for the right words and the right posture in this world. A reliable messenger, an envoy, an ambassador, able to communicate and encourage. I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up, and we're going to spend some time around the Lord's table uh, this morning. The first Sunday of the month, we set aside 